From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Effective stroke treatments are keeping more Americans alive and helping to prevent disability from stroke. Part of the key is early action. May is National Stroke Awareness Month, and I'm pleased to be speaking about this with Dr. Hesham Massoud. He's an assistant professor of neurology, neurosurgery, and radiology at Upstate Medical University and a member of the Upstate University Hospital Comprehensive Stroke Team. Welcome back to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Massoud. Hi, thanks for having me back. Now, most strokes happen when a blood vessel in the brain becomes narrowed or blocked, but some happen when a vessel ruptures. Are the symptoms the same for both types? Yeah. Uh, so, so a stroke is this broad term that encompasses two big mechanisms of how a stroke can happen. Because stroke just refers to, you know, this broad idea that there's brain damage and the brain damage is related to this vascular part of the brain, you know, meaning the pipes, uh, you know, be that the arteries, uh, the veins, or the tiny little vessels in between. And so that can be either a blockage dysfunction, right, or a narrowing inside the pipe, or it can be something wrong with the integrity of that pipe. And then that can be a series of things, or it can be malconnections. So whenever the dysfunction happens, um, it, can, it can just really manifest in terms of where that part of the brain is. Uh, and what its function would be. And so then when the dysfunction occurs, it looks the same. That's why, you know, our window uh, is really the, the in, into that early pathway of where you get designated in terms of your care, and it's very divergent, is the head, uh, head CT. Uh, so the head, the head CT is, is what gets you this uh, um, information up front because blood is very obvious on a head CT because head CTs deal with density, blood is denser um and so you can see it as bright it's very easy to uh to it's hard to miss i should say and then and so once the, that's excluded then you go on this uh you go on the on that on the separate care path so the head ct that's a cat scan and that's the cat scan exactly yeah so a person has to be in the emergency room or hospital to have that done that's why it's so important that people get this um you know, presentation to the emergency room as quickly as possible, because it's not only, you know, once you get excluded uh, from having, you know, the bleeds, which are, you know, not as many as in terms of your probability, if we're thinking about probabilities, your probability is higher uh, in, you know, 80% uh, is going to be the type where it's a blockage, where so it's lack of blood flow. You know, it's only 20% of the cases are going to be, you know, where it's a, where it's a bleed. Um, and then, you know, you know, you got to figure that that ratio kind of changes a little bit based on the age group. You know, as we get older, then you're more likely to see, you know, one thing versus another. If you're if you have one risk factor that's weighted differently in this direction, then then you're going to more likely have this type versus the other, you know, different different, you know, like high blood pressure or diabetes or cholesterol, you know, is more likely going to give you one type that lends itself towards, you know, a certain uh, a type of stroke, um, so 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 there, that's uh, that's why um, it, you know it, it really is important that um, that that you get that information early so that you can get on the care path um, because the delivery of care for the majority of strokes is the delivery of this clot busting drug, um, and so the earlier you can you can make that determination, then the better it is for you. And that's why you see some, you know, you may hear, hear about um, the mobile stroke units, which have the CAT scan in the ambulance. And so you're able to get that on the field. And then, you know, if you, if you get that on the field and you have a drug there 
and you have a, a FaceTime uh, uh, network, essentially, where, you know, you can do telemedicine, uh, then you can make that decision on the field. And that's even shorter than, than the, than the drive-in time to the hospital. So, so it's really important uh, that we identify things early. Well, let's talk about those symptoms. Um, how common are visual disturbances during a stroke? You know, it's, um, you know, I'd have to look at the, the, the actual numbers. I'd say in my practice, um, I, I expect to see, you know, maybe one or two uh, on the week that I'm, that I'm uh, uh, attending at a time. So fairly common, um, but it will be visual symptoms that are characteristic. Uh, uh, characteristically, I should say, attributed to the, 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 the pipes, right? The arteries system uh, uh, or the venous system. And so, uh, you know, the one that we see in, in the majority of strokes being the, the types of strokes where it's not a lot of blood, you know, there's lack of blood flow. And so that's the damage mechanism. You, you tend to see, um, you know, parts of the field, you know, so like half of each eye, if each eye has its own field of vision, then and you split that into quadrants, then you can have everything off to the left of that field or to the right of that field uh, or to the upper half and the right or the lower half and the right. You know, you can sort of split split it up into these four parts and then have it, you know, go off to the tendency of, you know, the left of or the right of each vision that very classically localizes to the brain. Um, if you have a sudden vision loss that's to one side, um, you know, to one eye where it really is. So they'll say classically, like, hey, it'll be like a curtain coming down. Oh, you know, anything suddenly where the where it comes out is basically a stroke until proven otherwise, uh, which is why I always tell people it's really just about things happening suddenly, you know. So, you know, a sudden subtraction of function you know, that's what apoplexy means, right? That's the old definition for stroke, you know? Uh, you know, so so just a sudden dysfunction uh, of your brain is basically gonna be what? It's most likely gonna be a problem with the feeding mechanism of the brain. Because once you block the, 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 um, the delivery system, then that dysfunction is gonna happen pretty quickly. Uh, and if you have your delivery artery, you know, or your pipe, or your draining pipe, you know, your vein having a problem, that also is going to give you some symptoms. Now, the venous side is sort of interesting and 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 in the sense that it can be more of a chameleon. Um, but that that tends to be its own own uh, own own animal. Um, but the arterial, the arterial side is very obviously sudden in onset. And so so you do well uh, probably you know from a probability sense to to just assume a stroke. If a patient comes to you and say, suddenly I can't, and then, you know, insert function here, you know, uh, uh, so, so, so that's the important uh, point, I think, for, for people uh, in terms of uh, recognition. What about headaches? Have you had patients um, where that was the primary sign? The big thing that, you know, that you always want to mention if, if you're talking about stroke and headaches is you want to talk about a sudden severe headache being something that really requires you to go to the emergency room you know so if you have a sudden headache that's really severe and then you know classically this is you know uh, uh, characterized as being the you know quote unquote worst headache of your life and the reason it's 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 uh it's 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 uh described as that is because that's what people say you know uh so suddenly your brain is exploding and that's what it feels like come to the emergency room because that can be really, really be a type of stroke uh like a bleed 
uh, of a of a specific part uh, of you know like a like an aneurysm, which is a dysfunction of the pipe, where there's a a weakening in the wall, and then that weakening leaks blood. You know that's where the aneurysm is. The aneurysm is really this weak part of the artery, and so the weak part of the artery can leak blood. Uh, and if it does that, when that blood touches that space that it's in, it's exquisitely painful. And it's exquisitely painful the millisecond it happens. And so that's why, you know, people say, hey, well, I got headaches, you know, what should I do? Um, and how do I, how do I differentiate? You know, especially if you already have an aneurysm. The, the, big, the, big, the big thing I say is I'm always a conservative person. So anything like, you know, typically you can suss out what's a benign headache, you know, meaning what's an okay headache versus what's a severe headache, but I tend to go on the lower threshold if you have an aneurysm in terms to uh, um, to consider things and, and do the extra workup. But in general, for the population, you know, it's, it, it, you know, it's this sudden intense headache, you know, um, and so, uh, so because, because it's exquisitely painful uh, when, when blood gets to that space. Um, so when you say headache, that, that makes me think of aneurysm. There are other headaches that can be attributed as well to strokes. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with stroke specialist, Dr. Hesham Masood. He's an assistant professor of neurology, neurosurgery, and radiology at Upstate, and we're going over the symptoms of stroke. Now, the acronym FAST, F-A-S-T, is used to help people remember the most common warning signs. F stands for face. So how does a stroke cause someone's face to, to droop? It really comes down to... The, the the concept of you know the the homunculus man you know which is the representation of our body on uh you know the part of the brain that has to deal with you know motor function you know moving your arms and legs and and that includes you know moving the muscles of your face um you know um and then there's also representation of your body uh which is the sensory representation you know, uh, uh, and so that 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 representation, uh, you know, uh, is sort of um, uh, commensurate with with how fine or detailed that part of the body needs to be. So, for instance, the the hands are going to be have a really really big amount of real estate that they claim on that part of the brain because you know that the hands really separates us from the lower order organisms in terms of having a, a tool. Uh, that we can use, you know, with the dexterity of the hands and the, and the, and the ability to do a fine um, sensory di discrimination. Um, and so, you know, the same thing with the lips. So the lips, you know, have to be pretty sensitive, right? Um, and as a result, you'll see the homunculus has really large lips because the representation on the brain of the lips and the mouth is really large. Same thing with the tongue, because obviously we have language, so on and so forth. Uh, but you'll find that the trunk, you know, like, uh, you know, like the torso, you know, the proximal parts, like the shoulders and your hips, that area, that's going to be kind of small, you know, because you're talking about gross movements in sort of planes. Uh, uh, and so that's not as um, as fine tuned, obviously. You mentioned homunculus, man. What What is that? So the homunculus man is essentially a graphic representation of of the different parts of your body in terms of how much real estate uh, those parts take up on the surface of your brain that that is the part uh, of that function. So that the big you know the big two being motor function and then the other being sensory function. So the face has this big representation. So if you have a stroke. Uh, you know, where are clots going to go, right? Where if we're talking about the predominant causes of strokes, which are these ischemic strokes, you know, the strokes from this dysfunction, a lot of times it's a clot. 
you know, the clot plugs up this artery. And, you know, if you have a big representation of this face, then that's going to have a bigger artery. And so it's going to pull more blood towards it. And so that's going to mean that the dominant stream of blood flow, you know, of, of, of for the for the clot to be carried is going to be towards it. So it'll pull the clot towards it. So you'll see that. Um, now, uh, th there is a pattern in terms of the facial weakness. You know, if you break up the face into a half and then, you know, you have sort of a, 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 another a horizontal line where you, you, you kind of split it uh, above and below. Um, paying attention to, to, to the dysfunction on that can also, you know, further localize where that representation uh, 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 is, you know, in the system. Because, I, you know, you got to think about the brain as part of the CNS, right? And the CNS is the central nervous system, which is brain and spinal cord, right? And then the nerves go out. And so, you know, any that that representation, that homunculus man, um, you know, gets transmitted into these little cables, right? And these cables go down and eventually go to the, your spinal cord and then they become that peripheral nerve and then, you know, the nerve down your hand and then the nerve to your, you know, so you can localize where the dysfunction is uh, based on paying attention to some of these things. But um, in general, that's how strokes can can uh, can cause a facial weakness is because there are these representations of of uh, of our function be it the face uh or the body on the brain and whenever you know whenever the blood flow to that part uh goes out then then you have that manifest now the a stands for arms uh weakness or strength you talked about how sudden some of these symptoms happen so this would be something that suddenly you're weak or or you lose strength yeah you know i mean fast is a nice acronym right because it sounds uh good right uh because it, it really stresses uh the need to 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 um to present to the to the hospital immediately to get this care which is a big big critical factor there are other type there are other things like i think 5s for stroke or some other other stuff that that have people have promoted but you know uh, you know, it, it should be arm and leg, you know, because it should be limb, really, you know, um, because, you know, you can have strokes that just go to the leg. Uh, and that's, a, you know, pretty characteristic of a pipe that is located in the area of the leg. So you can get strokes where it's suddenly the leg is weak. And I don't mean a leg, you know, like, oh, my knee and it buckles with pain. I mean, like a leg that goes, you know, weak in an appreciable sense where it it becomes heavier. You can't move it. Uh, uh, that kind of thing. That, so that's that feels. Entity. Let me ask you: Does that feel differently than when your leg falls asleep because you sat on it? Yes. In a particular yes. way. Okay. Yes, because that means you know when your leg falls asleep, it will have a character that localizes it in the CNS, right, in the system to the nerve, right, and not necessarily to the brain. Um, and so that's the whole idea is, is you can say, oh, well, this was a compression, right? There's a compression because I slept, you know, sort of like the funny bone, right? You're sitting on an armchair and then your arm goes numb, but it doesn't go all numb. It goes numb in a part of the hand, a part of the arm, because it's now that, you know, that map of the hand and arm that's that has a distribution of nerves. You know, in the same way that the arteries sort of branch and distribute to brain, the nerves branch and distribute to sort of skin and muscle in those areas. And so you can localize um, by paying attention to, to that point. But essentially, you know, getting back to, to what you were saying is, yeah, it's a sudden uh, change in your ability to use the arm 
or a sudden change in your ability, like we're sort of broadening it to use your 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 leg, you know. Um, but that's what the arm is referring to. Now that can be a spectrum of you know paralysis, uh, which is you know I, you know which has degrees. You know, when I think of paralysis, I think the person cannot move this limb; they cannot you know move it at all. Or maybe they can move it anti gravity, but without any resistance. Or maybe they can move it, but it's not quite where what it should be, and that means it's a little bit weaker than full strength or significantly weaker than full strength, you know, uh, or maybe it's just a flicker. And so, so there are these, there's this way that, that we grade it, but it is a sudden subtraction in that direction. That's a minus. It's not a plus. It's not like a stroke is going to make you feel stronger. The, the, it's, it's good that you brought up this point about the tingling and the numbness, because a stroke typically won't give you a positive symptom. And a positive symptom is one where it sort of generates a sensation, you know, um, so it's rare for a stroke to basically give you, you know, this tingling feeling, uh, you know, uh, it will, it, if that happens, it'll be, you know, further down the course of a typical stroke, you know, uh, you know, I'm thinking of some, some rare entities, you know, obviously the more, you know, the more the, the rules uh, or the lines can get blurred, uh, which is why it's important to sort of err on the caution when we're talking about this system, the CNS, you know. Uh, but in general, you know, it's it's uh, it's a negative symptom. So sudden subtraction of function. Uh, there's your sign. Go to the emergency room. So under in terms of speech, what are some of the symptoms tied to that? Because that's the S in fast would be speech. Yeah. yeah. And so you know, speech I think is a is a good is a good one to include on the on the fast um, because. Uh, because you can broaden speech to, to really include the concept of language, you know, um, so, so when I think about a speech dysfunction, you know, if we were thinking about it classically, then, you know, speech would just really be limited to sort of the production uh, of the words, uh, not necessarily the generating of those uh, words from the thoughts, you know, into uh, a transmission, right, uh, um, uh, you know, vocally. So, so, you know, you're basically talking about the muscles of the mouth and the tongue that help you form speech, right? Uh, be having weakness in them. And if there's that weakness there, uh, then you're going to have sort of a difficulty pronouncing certain things. And so I, I, you know, I do this on rounds and, and some patients laugh at me because I isolate the sounds um, to try to get an idea of where it's weighted um, more. And, you know, obviously a speech therapist would be the perfect person, obviously, to talk about this in stroke care uh, uh, because it's, it's such an important um, a uh, piece of of their rehabilitation is the is the speech therapy, but you can break it down into sort of the palate, you know, the tongue, and then the lips, and then you sort of sort of isolate these sounds, you know, la la la, ma ma ma, ka ka ka, and then you're looking for clarity, uh, separation, uh, you know, and then you can kind of pick up uh, if there's uh, some deficit there, and then you always kind of control for, you know, does the patient need dentures, so on and so forth, and then at the end of the day, you know, the patient knows their speech uh, the the best, so you ask. Uh, so that's a speech disturbance. I call that dysarthria, difficulty articulating, you know. And then there's the language part of it, which, you know, you know, people will say is aphasia. So language in, in, impairment. Oh, language impairment really has to do with the language center in the brain proper. So which is a separate part of the brain than sort of the muscles of the mouth. You know, this is really just sort of the generating uh, center of the so you, my thoughts go to the center and then that's this center is going to give me fluency, you know, uh, and, and ability to sort of uh, demonstrate comprehension uh, uh, and so on and so forth. So, so, uh, so that broadens to me, like the production of, of sort of sort of, I can't find my words word finding difficulty, 
you know, sort of like, you know, frustrating because it feels like I can't communicate my thoughts. That's part of speech. Rarely you can have a speech disturbance where the patient just speaks gibberish, um, but it sounds almost like a foreign language, uh, you know, or, 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 or some sort of like, you know, you know, random uh, 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 prosody of speech being um, intact. So there are the musicality of speech is there. So it sounds like a real thing, but it has no content uh, and, and it really you can't generate anything from it. Uh, but the person's musicality of speech is there. So it's sometimes, it, you know, classically it would get diagnosed as a psychiatric problem. If that happens suddenly, that's a language problem. That's a different kind of speech disturbance. So, so, so speech can be language and production of speech from a, a, a motor standpoint. Upstate's HealthLink on Air will be back to talk about stroke diagnosis and treatment options with Dr. Hesham Masood after this short break. Thank you for listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Hesha Masood, a stroke specialist who's an assistant professor of neurology, neurosurgery, and radiology at Upstate. We discussed the symptoms of stroke, and now we're turning to diagnosis and treatment. So when someone arrives at the hospital with a possible stroke, how do you go about determining uh, whether it's a stroke and what type of stroke it is? Yeah, I think the first step is... Um, you know, you get you get a little bit of the exam, uh, and a lot of that is is in the field from these uh, um, you know um, scores that 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 the EMS uh, uh, frontline healthcare workers get, uh, where they're sort of assessing versions of fast. You know, maybe I uh, you know adding an eye deviation or a, a, a problem uh, with you know sort of awareness of one side of the body as being reflective of a certain type of stroke, which which really means a larger territory of of potential uh, damage or 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 threat of damage, um, and so so you're getting that from the pre notification, and then the resources are really uh, prioritized towards setting you on one of two paths, and that's either the pathway of, um, you know, the eighty percent of strokes which are really a lack of blood flow problem. Uh, or the 20% of strokes, which are something burst or something leaked, this is blood, um, and so that's a separate care path. And that that's really the CAT scan we talked about. So, you know, you come in, you, have, you, you know, there's a pre-notification, and then you go straight to CAT scan, and then that, that sort of puts you in one of two categories. Um, when you're in uh, the, 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 the majority of stroke category, uh, then there's an exam that we do at the bedside called the NIH stroke scale, which is kind of a nice way to give points to certain parts of the brain function. Anytime we're using sort of like these scores as a surrogate uh, for um, um, how much the brain is involved, you know, there's going to be limitations. There's going to be parts that are neglected, so on and so forth. So at the end of the day, it's the neurologist's bedside exam that matters because then they can sort of fill in the blanks or fill in the gaps that these scores have, uh, which is why when there's a stroke, we have our neurology uh, stroke team uh, led uh, uh, team sort of run it, uh, running, running it in the same way that you would run a code blue, right? You know, instead of it being the threat of loss of life in a code blue, it's th threat of loss of function and independence in a stroke uh, code. Um, and so, so it's the same, it's the same um, um, uh, emergency type uh, uh, situation. And that's led by the neurology stroke team. They come in, they do their exam, but essentially you can, you can gather this basic data that's very quick 
through this scale and then communicate it to non-neurology providers, uh, non-neurology healthcare uh, providers and doctors. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and then that can, you know, sort of give you an idea of if, is this a stroke of a large territory or a small territory? And then the neurologist can tell you, the stroke neurology uh, person who's at the bedside can tell you, oh yeah, is this one of these classic strokes that are of this entity that represent in this interesting and atypical way, but is well characterized? Or is this actually a large territory that's presenting in a subtle way because of these other things that I'm able to appreciate at the bedside? You know, uh, and, 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 and a big part of their job at the, at the, the stroke team is also in synthesizing this information um, from the scan. So they read their own scans, because as you can imagine, the time is such that you, you know, you can't wait on uh, on, on another provider to, to see, uh, on another you know, doctor or whoever to, to see the scans, interpret them, and then call you back. That happens as a redundancy almost, uh, because the, the stroke team has to make these decisions faster than that. Um, uh, you know, because you know the brain dies quickly, um, and so so that's that's the that's of interest. You know, so uh, so there's this you know there's this rapid thing that's happening where your your brain is being evaluated in terms of its clinical manifestation, in terms of what the pictures are showing that categorizes you in different ways, uh, and then based on the time point, there may or may not be a drug that is going to be uh, uh, applicable. Uh, and then the candidacy for that drug is then evaluated again very quickly and in parallel to these other processes. You know, it's not like this happens and then we go to the next train stop. No, it's like these things are all happening in parallel and then they sort of converge at the time point that's shortest uh, when you can sort of pass the reasonable level of certainty that this is a stroke. And so, you know, I think a big part of the game in stroke um, is is to is to realize that there are going to be strokes uh, that are treated from the clot busting drug standpoint uh, that that may may not be uh, turn out to be strokes. And that's because, uh, you know, this is a system where um, you can't take any chances and, and, and you have to err on the side of caution. And thankfully, in those instances, when it's not a stroke and you receive the drug, there's really almost a 0% risk. So, um, so that's why that's a that's a big that's a big point that that we always stress to our trainees. You yeah. and I have talked about clot busting medication before TPA, um, yeah. which was approved, I guess, since the late 1990s. But now there's yeah. a new medication that's gaining traction among stroke specialists. Can you tell us about it? Well, it's like it's interesting because it's like new old. You know, it's old new. You know, uh, so tenecteplase uh, has been studied. Uh, you know, like for 15 years in stroke, um, and and has been and has been widely used in non neuroscience specialties. You know, um, and so there's there's a lot of experience with tenecteplase. Um, so tenecteplase is is similar to to alteplase, which is the TPA drug, in that it sort of works on you know. So clotting is a big is 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 primarily these two big variables that that combine together to form these plugs. Um, in terms of what clots are made up, and that's platelets, you know, and that's why you know people get aspirin or Plavix or whatever. Uh, and then there's the fibrin uh, piece, which has to do with the clotting uh, mechanism. Um, and so the fibrin, uh, it, this is what you know, this these drugs sort of work on that fibrin, and that's what allows you know things to get attached and crosslink and really organize a clot in a way. So if you can break down those crosslinking fibrin strands, uh, then you can, you know, reopen the blood flow. And so tenecteplase does that, uh, it, working on that system as, as TPA does. What's interesting about tenecteplase 
uh, that's that's uh, you know the, the big advantage is, is that it has sort of you know um, a little bit more specific in action on that on that fibrin than TPA does. So it's an even more of a special you know like a fibrin specialist is how I would uh, call it, and and it and it works a little bit longer um, as you know, as as sort of manifested by the 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 half life you know the time it takes for for half of it to to drop you know in the system. So that's longer than 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 TPA. So it, so it works longer and it's more specific. Uh, so that's an advantage. And then the other advantage is that um, you don't have to run it for as long. Um, so in TPA, uh, you know, you have to give a bolus. A bolus is essentially a, a, a percentage of the drug that's given over a minute. Um, you know, so that's a pretty rapid administration of the drug intravenously. And then there's the remainder, sort of 90% of this drug that's sort of infused slowly over an hour. Uh, and you can imagine having a drug that's a clot buster that's infusing over an hour in the critical portion of your care. There are things that could go wrong, like, you know, maybe bleeding at a puncture site somewhere. Now you have this drip going, we got to pause the drip you know, so on and so forth. So it's sort of a clunky thing in general in, in, in medical care to deal with quote unquote drips. That's kind of like an ICU level care. Um, so not having to give a drip is a big um, advantage, especially in centers, which are gonna like transfer the patient somewhere, you know, not having to put someone on a drip for a car ride is kind of nice um, because you can imagine managing a drip in the hospital, it's complicated. Uh, imagine what it must be like uh, in the car ride potentially. Now we do it pretty safely. I'm just saying, but this is an opportunity for improvement. Uh, and so tenecteplase is a bolus only drug. Uh, so you don't have to give the drip. So that's the advantage. And so now there's this accumulating data, um, uh, which is giving us um, suggestion that, hey, not only is it, you know, uh, uh, potentially as, you know, not only is it as safe uh, as TPA, it may even be better at you know, um, breaking down some of the biggest, baddest clots. You know, we call these large vessel occlusions, which are the clots that you actually have to, oftentimes, physically retrieve. Um, you know, either sucking it out or using a, a device that we've talked about in the past, where you ensnare it and then and slowly retract it and, and withdraw it out of the body. So these are big, bad clots, and this is a drug that does that potentially better than. Uh, TPA does, it doesn't need a, a, a drip, it's only a bolus, it works longer, it's more specific. And then there are two doses that were studied and the lower dose works apparently just as well as the higher dose. So now there's this adoption in the stroke um, a community in hospitals um, and, and there's some pretty pretty big uh, hospitals uh, you know, in, in the South that, that have, have you know, talked about their experience and their safety profile. Um, and so it's actually being, you know, it, it, it's uh, it's in it's it's getting admin, you know, into the guidelines and things like that. Um, so so uh, so that's the that's the big I think big news on the clot busting front. Um, you know, like I said, new old news or old news, you know, but sort of a new application. Um, uh, you know, I think more of an innovation in terms of just uh, utilizing a drug that that uh, maybe is a little bit more convenient. Well, this has been very informative. Thank you to Dr. Hesham Masood. He's an assistant professor of neurology, neurosurgery, and radiology at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and radio talk show, HealthLink on Air.